morning, church. As Travis said, my name is Dirk Weiss. I am one of the pastors in Cedar Falls, at the Cedar Falls campus. So I've been down here a few times now in the last uh, couple months, and it's been good to continue coming down and, and being with you and, and uh, yeah, getting into the Word of God with you. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get going here. Lord, we thank you for this morning in that, uh, yeah, we're here as free people. Yeah, we're here as your children, as your friends. So, Lord, we seek you today, and, yeah, God, we just sang, uh, the nation's rage, and they've always been raging, but we feel it today. We feel our nation raging. We feel that within our own hearts, the raging, the, the world falling apart, but you remain steadfast. You do not change. You do not change your mind about us and about what you have set out to do. So, Lord, would that be a comfort to our souls? Would our hearts be stilled? That all distractions right now in your name, Jesus, would be gone. That we would be fully present with one another in this space and with you. Give us the peace that is beyond comprehension in this moment, Lord. We love you and thank you. Amen. All right, so I feel like this has been <laughs> the last two times I've preached down here. Melchizedek has been mentioned. It's not this week, guys. Uh, it's uh, the next couple weeks, so letting you down again. Glenn's uh, got that next week, and I'll be back after that. So, uh, the context of where we're at today is really following off the heels of the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, talking about apostasy, which is like the toughest passage really in the book of Hebrews. Uh, ben did a, a great job with that. I'm glad he uh, got assigned that one. It was not on purpose, uh, but I'm glad he had that and not me. Uh, and then talking about assurance as well. So uh, not just uh, a virtue of assurance, but for every believer to know that you are in the Father's hand. There is an assurance for you to have as you follow Jesus that you are his. And he's not changing his mind about you. And we're kind of continuing that today. And so not just uh, what he has done, what he's, he's given you uh, an, an eternal life with him forever, uh, a future hope, but what's going on in the present, what's going on now as well. So let me... Read a little bit of what Glenn had last week. So verses 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so 
where we're at today is discovering how has God done this before? Where has this assurance happened? Is there an example for us to really follow? And what we're getting into here is seeing what God has already done in Abraham. The father of faith. And somehow it's relevant to us today. There's connective tissue there. So let's look at Abraham. So God's promise to Abraham. So leading up to Abraham, man, the first 12 chapters of Genesis is crazy. There's a lot happening really fast, at least to us if we read it. It's really fast. A lot of stuff is going on in 12 chapters. So you have Yahweh, you have God of all creating all things that we know of, that we can even begin to comprehend and beyond that with a word. He speaks it all into existence, all of creation. Then you see sin enter into that creation, creating brokenness in the world around us and in us. And then we see the flood, we see Babel, and specifically what happens with Babel. God sees after the flood, and and humanity for the most part has been wiped out and restarted again with Noah and his family. It happens again. This cycle of sin and brokenness just going into humanity. And man tries to recreate their own Eden with the tower. Right? So Eden is talked about as a garden, most commonly in Scripture, but it's also talked about as a mountain. So they're trying to recreate their own. All right? And you've seen this throughout the world. It's not just in Mesopotamia. You see it in the pyramids. You see it in, uh, in Central America. You see it everywhere. Humanity's been trying to recreate it. It's within our design. And through that, God spreads out humanity, confuses them in different languages. The world is filled with confusion. And for the reader, for us to read that, we're like, what what is God possibly going to do? If we were just reading it for the first time, the next chapter, from a global, universal picture here, God zooms in to one man, Abraham. Now, at that time, he's called Abram and Sarai. I'm just going to say Abraham and Sarah because it's just going to be easier for you to, to track along. God chooses one man through whom the world would be blessed. So his covenant with Abraham. So these details of the covenant, you can see it in a few different chapters of Genesis. So it starts in, in 12 and where he says this, that I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, wow. All right, skip ahead to chapter 15. He said, the Lord says to Abraham here, you will have a son to be your heir, and your offspring shall be as many as the stars. Wow, sounds great. Reality check. Abraham at this point in time is 75. And his wife Sarah is 65. 
there needs to be a miracle here, and only God can do it, okay? Like, it's not just, I, I'm pretty sure they knew how to have a baby. The miracle that needs to happen here is that there literally needs to be a physiological change in Sarah. Like, menopause needs to be reversed in order for her to carry a child at her age. But yet we see Abraham obtain the promise. Sarah becomes pregnant and Isaac is born. And in chapter 22, verse 17, the Lord says then, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And for us who keep reading, like, Abraham, you have no idea. Because God already promised what he would do. And now he's giving an oath by his own name and credibility. Like, okay. He spoke everything into existence by his word. Like, okay, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Would have been good enough. Surely I will do it. He's putting his credibility on the line just to show how committed he is to what he wants to do in Abraham and through Abraham. And he's true to his word. But they had to wait. Like, a really really long time. Now, we can read these chapters pretty quick and like, oh yeah, two weeks later, nine months later, here, came, here, here comes the baby. Real miracle, baby comes in two weeks. That'd be terrible. But it was 25 years. 25 years of waiting. Until Isaac came. And we don't necessarily know this because scenes change between chapters. And, and I'm sure the Lord was still guiding Abraham and Sarah to different degrees throughout that. But for all we know, there was a lot of silence. A lot of silence in 25 years. And... Abraham, I mean, you read this in its full, in its fullest. Abraham was easily imperfect in this process. He failed at waiting, right? Like he tried to have a child with his servant to speed the process along. That wasn't going to work. Through Sarah, he had to wait. But have we had to wait like that? Maybe not 25 years, but have we had to wait? on really, really crucial things, really sensitive things. Have we had to wait? Seasons of silence. It seems like God just isn't talking. He isn't guiding. Changing just your circumstances in general, just things, unfortunate uh, unrolling of events, right? Relational strife. And maybe some of you are in the same boat there, waiting for a child. Those of you who are single and struggling with that, you've been waiting for a spouse. Been waiting for a job. Waiting for healing. Waiting for reconciliation. Waiting for the Lord just to restore to you the joy of your salvation. Like, he for sure promises that. Right? And it doesn't seem like it's happening. 
promises that, though. And we find ourselves in, in any of those circumstances like, Lord, why do you wait? Do you see me struggling? Do you see my family? Do you see my community struggling? And what do we do? Like, what, what do we do in the waiting line? Are we actually patient? Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Because I know myself, I want to know, how can I expedite the process? How can I hurry things along so that we can be at peace, I can be satisfied? Um, how can we do this without really waiting on the Lord? Right? Just settling on something far less instead of what the Lord has to offer. Right? Because we'll justify it. Because I know I've done this, where I would essentially say to God, God, I've done my time. I've waited long enough. I've suffered long enough. I'm just going to do this. I'm tired of waiting. I've done my time. All right? And so pursuing a relationship just because it's available instead of their character and how they love and walk with Jesus. Taking a job just because it pays more and there's better perks. Making a decision just because it's more convenient. It's just easier. And family, let me tell you this. I have seen enough of my friends shipwreck their faith because of these decisions. I see where they're at on Facebook. It's not good. Right, and you think I would learn, right? Seeing that, friends, people I would call brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, not shipwrecking my faith, but as I've walked with Jesus, I've just been in so many cycles of exhaustion. Cycles of exhaustion instead of resting in the Lord, instead of trusting and waiting on his provision for strength, for endurance, for grace, for peace. Uh, the first year when uh, up at the Cedar Falls campus, I was starting, uh, starting up the college ministry that we had up there that I led for seven years. And in that preparatory season leading up to kicking off, I was not resting. I was overstressed, overworked. I was full-time in school. Um, you kind of get the picture. And, and what happened because of that is I developed an allergy to cold. You're like, dude, you live in Iowa. That's not good. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and what would happen, I would uh, either cold air, cold water, I would just break out in hives. Um, it's kind of a mysterious thing. They don't really know uh, what can cause it. It can be genetic um, or possibly stress-induced. I'm like, that's me. And uh, it got really bad. There was one time I was in a pool, and I just sat on the edge covered, and I about fainted and, like, fell back in. So that would not have been good. And, uh, I mean, it, it was at a point, like, I got diagnosed. I went to a doctor, and, you know, through a few winters there, I had an EpiPen in my coat pocket. Like, I don't know. What's going to happen? Uh, and, you know, by God's grace, like, I've really kind of grown out of that. I've learned how to handle it a little bit more and learned how to rest at least a little bit better. But that's, that's me. Like, I struggle in the waiting. And look back at Abraham, right? Because he waited imperfectly, yet he still saw the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Now, 
you can hear that and read that and think, that's not fair. That doesn't seem fair, right? In a way, yes, right? Because what is essential for us to understand today, family, is that Abraham messed up royally, but it did not depend on him. It did not depend on him. It was based solely on the power and grace of Yahweh. And what he said would happen, he brought it to pass. Okay. Now, what's the whole point of the the example of Abraham in Hebrews, right? Is it just an inspirational story? Does it have any relevance? Are we a part of of this in any way? And I believe when we see this in its fullest picture, we see that it is also God's promise to us today. Did Abraham's, sorry, did Abraham see the whole promise fulfilled? No. Right, he saw the initial fulfillment. He saw Isaac being born, which is a huge miracle. Don't get me wrong, huge miracle that happened. But through him, through Isaac, then would be Jacob, the nation of Israel, and everything we see playing out in, in all of Scripture. But look at what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 48 through 58. He's talking to the Pharisees here. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He sought and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, he's referencing back to Moses in the burning bush. God reveals himself as I am, his name. Right, but what's happening here? He says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw and was glad. Jesus, the Son of God, coming to us in the flesh, is the true fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. He is the fulfillment. 
Abraham believed in the future fulfillment of God's promise. And here it is in flesh, walking among us. Now, what we see, yes, the true offspring is bringing fulfillment. Let's go to Genesis 22, 17 through 18. I'm going to connect some dots here for you. The Lord says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now, digging into a little bit of study material here, you can kind of cut this in half, where the first half is talking about many descendants. There would be many descendants through Abraham. True. There's the second half talking about there's a single offspring, singular offspring. Now, this makes sense because God's redeeming his people um, while also, at the same time, bringing forth a Messiah through his people in order to do that. Right? He's redeeming his people, and through that, there's a Messiah in those people, that person being Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is the true offspring. Now, again, a little confusing. What's happening? Paul speaks into this in Galatians 3. He says this in verse 16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Now, wait. I thought, you're thinking, I thought Abraham's offspring would be as numerous as the stars and as much, you know, grains of sand are on the beach. We are a part of that promise as well. Paul continues chapter 3 of Galatians in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. In Christ, we are the offspring because we are his body. We have been purchased, blood-bought, brought into the family of God because of Jesus. Now, God wasn't just giving Abraham a big family. He chose Abraham to be the father of a nation and lineage through which would come the Savior to redeem and reconcile people back to God. Okay? Now, Abraham waited 25 years. Israel waited centuries. And he came to us at the end of that period of waiting. He came to us, served us, loved us, died for us, sacrificed for us, so that we would be brought near. Now, there's another story with Abraham that is pretty commonly known with, uh, in, in chapter 22 of Genesis, where God tests Abraham by asking him to go sacrifice his son, Isaac, right? The promised child, like, God, you kidding me? Waking me up early in the morning to do this? Like, I, th I thought you promised that he would be the child of blessing through which the world would be blessed. But you followed through on your promise to deliver him, so I'm trusting you that you will 
still hold to your word. Now, what happens is once they get to the place of sacrifice, Isaac sees the wood for the fire and asks where the sacrifice is. And Abraham responds with, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And as many of you know, Abraham goes to sacrifice his son and the Lord stops him and provides a ram that is caught in the thicket nearby. And if this is a foreshadowing, a massive foreshadowing of what God does for his people, not just for Abraham there, but in the fullest perfect picture centuries later in Jesus. And the hope and, and beautiful truth of the gospel is that God does provide the lamb for the sacrifice. That would not just deal with Abraham's sin or Isaac's sin or Israel's sin, but deal with the sin of the whole world. This is the God we serve. This is the God who we worship. And in Hebrews, in our passage today, it says this in 19 and 20, that Jesus, in his, his role, as we've talked about in, in the past month, of him being our great high priest, right? The one being between us and the Father. That he has gone behind the inner curtain to the inner place on our behalf. Right? And so... We can see this in idea, but what is crazy to, to see is that in, Matthew, in Matthew's account, when Jesus dies on the cross, there's an earthquake that happens. And the temple in Jerusalem, where there is a, a, essentially the same kind of curtain that divides between us and God's presence, when that earthquake happened, that curtain tore from top to bottom. evidence, real-life tangible evidence before Jesus even resurrects that the way to God is open now. Jesus has made a way for us to be with him, forever access, forever accessible, not having to go through an earthly priest, but we go through Jesus now who always hears us, who always intercedes for us, who's always praying for us, right? And so, yes, he dies, and yes, he rises again, bringing us into not just a, a brokenness of life that we can talk to Jesus now, but it's a newness of life. And he gives us his spirit so that it's not just us trying to make things right, trying to walk with him, but he gives us his spirit to lead us to teach us, to guide us, to heal us, to bring reconciliation, to bring unity within a body of people who otherwise would have nothing to do with each other. Like, have you ever thought about the, the people in this room and the things that we do, the, our jobs and our education levels, our socioeconomic statuses, our neighborhoods that we live in, our backgrounds? Only Jesus would make this happen. Only Jesus would bring people like us together, fighting for harmony, fighting for unity. And it's all a free gift. It's a free gift, family. And this promise, yes, we are a part of it. And we get to be an active part of it in, in, in many ways. So when Jesus gives the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, 
It's the call to go to the people who have not heard, who have been totally cut off from the gospel. And we go and we bring words of life and transformation and we see God work in our midst. Regardless of what happens with all the COVID stuff, I hope at some point you guys get to go to India or somewhere where they're working to reach the unreached and seeing people come in droves to Jesus who had no background, no understanding of the gospel, totally enslaved to demonic things. And they have heard the words of life and they've been forever changed. And the gospel is moving like wildfire. People are getting healed. It's unreal. And church, we get to be a part of that. So this is why the example of Abraham is important for us. To understand why this is here in chapter 6 of Hebrews. It's for us to see, be encouraged and reminded that we are part of something far bigger than what I think we recognize and see on a day-to-day basis. It's the beautiful truth that sets us free. It gives us a purpose or reminds us of that purpose and it secures us within the love of Jesus. It secures us. God's people are secured. So it's really rehashing this. How are we secured? God's unchanging character. The promises that he's going to see to fulfillment. All right, we see the the fulfilling of the promise to Abraham, the initial fulfilling. We see that in a greater, infinite scope in Jesus, coming to be the Savior of the world, saving people unto himself. He's made us recipients of that same promise. And in this process of understanding and walking in this promise, what he started in us, what Paul says in Philippians 1, he's going to bring it to completion. Right? I think one of the, we're, we just get so easily discouraged, I think, in our walk with Jesus. Like, one thing happens, and we just feel like we've, we've backtracked, we feel like we've been stuck, we feel, ugh. So remember Paul's words, what he says in Philippians 1.6. That he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, the last day. He's going to bring it to completion. And so right now, you might feel like I inherited the promise. Feel like, man, the Lord loves me. He started something in you. Okay? And you might not have to look back at this week to be encouraged. Probably not. Look back at the last few months. Look back. Look back a few years. Look back at when you first believed. Look at where he's brought you. Look at what he's done in you. And you might need someone outside of yourself to remind you of that. Most likely you do. All right? I, I need that because I... I think like you, I just feel stuck in that sometimes. I forget about God's promise. I forget about the promise of the Spirit and the Spirit's presence in me and what he wants to do. I need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded of that. And so as the author says in verse 17, this hope is a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Steadfast anchor for the soul. Through God's promises, in his work in us, 
that we would have a strong encouragement to hold fast. Hold fast. I don't think the author's speaking to you in, in a, with you having just a puffed out chest and claiming victory over everything every day, every moment. Speaking to a people who have been persecuted. Speaking to a people who have wrestled with sin. Speaking to a people who have backslided. Speaking to a people who struggle in church. Who struggle doing church. Saying, hold fast. Don't hold fast based upon your abilities, your strengths, the strengths within your community, because it will all fail. And it will let you down time and time again. Hold fast to the rock on which you build your house. The immovable, unshaking rock that is Jesus. He is your sure foundation. He will provide what you need. I love it. I just go off notes and I don't know where I'm at anymore. <laughs> right. He remains faithful to you. you and, and maybe specifically, some of you need to hear this today. He remains faithful to you when you are anxious and don't trust him. He remains faithful to you in your lust. He remains faithful to you in your depression. He remains faithful to you in your spiritual dryness, in your anger. He's steadfast. As Jesus says in John 10, that the Father has you in his hand, and nothing is going to take you out of it. Nothing. That's where we're anchored, family. We are anchored in him. And he's not changing. And so for us to remember years ago, maybe. Remember how he's done it before. And you might not feel it now, but remember what he's done before. And let that stir you this morning. Ask the spirit, stir me to keep fighting, to keep walking, to keep clinging to the cross. So we're anchored, but like Abraham, we're also waiting, okay? Abraham waited 25 years. David was hunted by Saul for years, right? It wasn't just a, a hard week. Israel was enslaved in Egypt for centuries, Israel was exiled in Babylon for 70 years. That's generations. My brother prayed for me over 10 years. And then Jesus got me. 
on the receiving end of that, it's worth the wait. It's worth the wait. So how do we wait well? Right, just me, keep telling you stories. Um, we have the life challenge, an invitation into complete dependency upon the Spirit. Complete dependency. Because He alone will guide you he will not fail you. He will remind you of everything Jesus said. Everything. He will convict you. And he will love you. And bring you into a better place of renewal than you could ever imagine. <laughs> and the thing is, it's uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable, guys. Like, this is not an easy life hack. It's not. He will uproot rotten areas in your life. And it's going to really hurt at times. And we're going to ask God, why are you bringing this about? Why are you doing this to me? Like, you might lose friendships. You might lose some things in that. But it's his faithfulness that will keep you keep you and he will comfort you and continue to transform you to become more like the one who you behold Jesus the son of God and to know that in this waiting especially if you're feeling really dry it's easy to believe and think like it's just me I'm in I'm in the valley right and I think we forget in Psalm 23 is what David's saying you are with me in the valley of the shadow of death. God is in your waiting. He's not just torturing you. He's in it with you. I like to think, you know, what we see throughout scripture from a lot of different characters' perspectives, like God's speaking to them and, and waiting, but to, to think as well from, from the Lord's perspective, how patient he is. Like, he could have done a lot really fast. Why was it so drawn out? And to think of the Father's heart in anticipation for so long keeping his people through persecution, through exile, through slavery, through everything that's happened over thousands of years. And then the moment comes when Jesus enters humanity. And when he gets baptized by John, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Right? So excited that he's here to set you free. That's his heart for you. That's his heart for me. In the waiting. There's a song. It came out a number of years ago. It's called Take Courage. And some of the lyrics, just so really timely and reminding. Where the lyrics say this. Sing praise, my soul. Find strength 
enjoy. Let his words lead you on. Do not forget his great faithfulness. He'll finish all he's begun. And you who hold the stars and call them each by name will surely keep your promise to me that I will rise in your victory. So take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. Our seasons of waiting is the process God brings to anchor us. They're not two separate events. As we wait and lean in, dependent upon the Spirit, we are being further anchored. Further anchored. Okay, so take heart, family. I know some of you probably are feeling really beat up today. Hopefully not because of anything I said. But just where you are, take heart. He dwells with you where you are. And it's in our dependency we are confident in Jesus and grow in confidence with Jesus as our Savior and the work that he has done, the work that he's going to do, and we continue to surrender it all to him, okay? Be in a place of surrender. And in that surrender, you find freedom. I want to invite up the response team as we transition here. And as we struggle and wrestle through this waiting process. Again, it's not a life hack. I'm not, we're not saying it's going to happen today. But we're asking the Lord to meet us in our collective longing. In our collective struggle to be united with him, to walk with him, to anchor to him deeper and deeper. So we're just going to give you space to pray. It'll be an opportunity to give if this is your church. And we're going to have communion out as well where we, as brothers and sisters, the people of Christ, remember his sacrifice on the cross for us that has redeemed us, that changes us, that seals us for eternity with him. We remember his broken body, his shed blood, and remember. And we ask for this to be a special moment that the Lord would give us as we take of that to know he is present. He is present with us. It was for you. His sacrifice was for you. And then we're going to sing. But let me pray. And I want to read part of Isaiah 40 just over us as we begin to engage again. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. 
His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Lord, we come with open hands as your people and we wait. We wait on you, Lord, to provide peace. We wait upon you to provide our needs, to satisfy our longings, to counsel our discouraged hearts and souls. to lift up our gaze to see you. Bring us up from the pit. We know that you are in it with us, so carry us, Lord. Lift us out. Would you meet every struggling brother and sister in this room this morning with the words of life, with the people just feeling their brokenness this morning, Lord? Would they experience your healing touch right now? That we would all know your truth, that you have not forsaken us, you have not abandoned us. You will fulfill what you have promised. And we will stand in that victory. So give us strength, Lord. We believe, but help our unbelief in this struggle, in this season, where we are. And we trust that it is your goodness that will remain with us and upon us all the days of our life. Would you give all of us a greater sense and experience of of security in you? sealed and in your hand. It's in you that we find our refuge, our strength. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. And thank you that you will not leave us. And you said that you will be with us until the end of the age. Thank you. It's all in your name that we pray. Amen.